God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Ecclesiastes 7.29. Say that again. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. See, simplicity is freedom. Complication leads to bondage. We're in a new series. We started last week. It's called Practice Makes Progress. And we're looking at the practices, the disciplines that we put into our lives that help us become more like Christ, that actually draw us to Him. We learned last week that actually the whole point of the disciplines we put into our lives, the things that we do, uh, they're not just so we are good Christians, so we can tick off a, a box on a list and say, oh, look, I've read my Bible, I've prayed, I've done these things, therefore, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay in God's sight. No, the whole idea of them is that we draw close, we draw near to Him, and in drawing near and building a relationship with Him, we become like Him. Yeah? Anybody remember that last week? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, so this week we're looking at our first discipline, the discipline of simplicity. Of all the practices or disciplines, the, the, the practice of, of simplicity is probably the most visible and therefore it's the most open to corruption. And if we're, if we're honest, in the West, the vast majority of Christians we just don't actually wrestle with this idea of simplicity. We kind of conveniently ignore Jesus' words on it because this discipline directly challenges our vested interests in our own affluent lifestyle. You've gone very quiet, and I'm assuming that you're feeling very convicted or that uh, you're just still lost in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's true, though. You know, the 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 the, the, the biblical teaching of of Simplicity is very confronting to us Christians in wealthy Western New Zealand. Because Jesus came to earth and he didn't have a lot. He was a carpenter, a tradie, and not a wealthy tradie. Tradies these days, they do all right. Yeah. But no, no, he, he, was a, he was a basic carpenter. And then he went for three years and he just rode around on a donkey and walked around and, and didn't have very much at all. His lifestyle challenges us. And the thing is, when we, when we do look at the, this idea of simplicity, it's actually, it's, there's a very strong temptation in, in, as Christians that we, we, we slip into legalism very quickly. Uh, so, you know, the Christian practice of simplicity, it's not like reading your Bible or... or um, or uh, praying or doing one of those things that you could kind of do for five minutes a day and then say, yeah, I've done it. It's actually, it's an inward reality that then produces an outward lifestyle. Okay? Yeah, okay. I'm going to preach a whole lot better if you guys like give me some feedback. I have to say this every week, and I, I will just keep saying it until I'm an old man, but uh, the, better, the better you respond, the better I'll preach. Okay? That's good? Okay? Yeah, do I need to say it again? The better you respond, the better I preach. Thank you, Nat's got it. Yeah, thanks. I know, I know you might think, why are we cheering? He hasn't said anything good yet. But trust me, if you encourage me, I will. Um, okay, so it's an inward, let me say that again. The practice of simplicity, it's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. 
And contemporary culture, particularly in the West, it kind of lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle. And, and we get trapped in it. If you, if you don't think you get trapped in the Western culture that you're in, you, you're fooling yourself. We get trapped in this mindset as well. Um, and the trouble is that the world lacks a kind of a, a divine center to hold on to. And so in its, in its search for security, people just look for anything. And what happens is they just look for, to stuff. We just, we just look, uh, we just have this atta- insane attachment to things uh, that we feel will give us wholeness or, I didn't hear that word from the front row. Uh, you know, we, think, we keep thinking that having more stuff or having the right stuff or having quality stuff or just having the resources to get the stuff will make us secure, will make us happy. But it won't. And the lust of affluence in, in modern society, it's actually psychotic. It's a psychosis. Because it's, it's caused us to lose touch with reality. Because we end up craving things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We're, seriously. And we're, we're made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they're worn out. You know, uh, there's this kind of disingenuous hypocrisy here because people say, oh, I want to save the environment, uh, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, to quote Bob the Builder. Uh, but then we buy new clothes or new secondhand clo- uh, cars or, or new clothes or new stuff. And, and, and we know that actually just what we're wearing or driving or, or using would be fine, would do. And the, the media convinces us, though, that if we're out of step with fashion, then we're out of step with reality. Um, but we as disciples of Jesus, we have to realize that conformity to a sick society makes us sick. And actually, a lot of us, we're infected and we don't even realize. We're infected with the, the, the disease of affluence. We dream of having more, of being able to be secure, of having a bigger house, a nicer car, a, the ability to buy those clothes or those bikes or those uh, whatever those things are. Hey, I'm just preaching to myself as well this morning. <laughs> it's okay. And it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard because we're, we're embedded in the culture. So it's hard to be removed and to, to look at it uh, externally and be and say, oh, actually, this is wrong. Actually, this isn't a kingdom culture. This is a worldly culture that we're part of. And perhaps you think I'm a bit of a, la- a raving lunatic standing up here and saying, oh, the world's hedonistic and consumeristic and ah, the world. But I remember this guy called John the Baptist. And uh, he came in a camel uh, T-shirt and, and, and like you know, bits of locusts stuck in his teeth. And, and, and he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And people thought he was a raving lunatic. But guess what? He was right. Okay, so you can't dismiss me. Um, <laughs> And also, I've got the microphone, because this, this psychosis, it infects even our, even our modern mythology. Like, the, 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 I've said this before, the, the modern hero is the poor boy who purposefully becomes rich, rather than the rich boy who voluntarily becomes poor. And we still find it hard to imagine a girl doing either of those. Uh, kind of the, the, the epitome is, is in New Zealand is John Key. He's, you know, he's from uh, a state house, but he's risen to be uh, a wealthy banker and then the, the prime minister. That's kind of the mythology that we look up to. Rather than the mythology of Jesus, who is God eternal, has everything and chooses to become nothing. Wow, that's actually what we should be aspiring to. See, covetousness in our world is called ambition. Hoarding is called wisdom. 
Greed is cool. Just having a good work ethic. We need to push back against this. Ah, we need to rediscover what the Bible says about economic issues and possessions because it has a lot to say. The Bible is very clearly against exploitation of the poor and of the accumulation of wealth. It flies in in the face of almost all kind of economic and and social thinking in the uh, in our capitalist society. I'll give you some examples. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, uh, just so you know it's not just me. Um, in Leviticus 25:23, it tells us the land must not be sold permanently. It's God speaking because the land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Because we have this popular notion, it's a divine right to uh, to our absolute right to to hold property to have our own house. Well, actually, no, it's not. It all belongs to God. The year of Jubilee stipulates that, uh, you know, back in the day, they had to give all their land back after 50 years. They had to kind of give it all back. So, so that, uh, unfortunately, Israel didn't actually follow this practice. But if they had, they would have got rid of that whole idea of the, that we struggle with, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Um, Psalm 62.10 tells us, Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. The Tenth Commandment, it's all against covetousness. It's all against looking at your neighbor and going, oh, I like what they have. I want that. I need that. The lust to have what other people have. Proverbs eleven twenty eight tells us, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And this is all before Jesus comes along. And he declares war on materialism. Uh, the Aramaic term for wealth is mammon, and Jesus tells us it's a rival to God. In Luke 16, 13, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He speaks frequently about finances. In Luke 6, uh, just to read you verse 20 and 24, he says, Blessed are you who are poor. <laughs> For yours is the kingdom of God. In verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. These are uncomfortable scriptures. Anybody squirming in your seat? Because you might think, oh, I'm not that rich. But you are. In the world, you're in New Zealand, so therefore you're already in the kind of top 10%. We are already incredibly wealthy. If you drove here this morning, you're doing very, very well. You are rich. And Jesus, he saw the grip that wealth could have on people, which is precisely why he, he, he speaks against it. He says in, in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Don't, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's not saying that your heart should or should not be on your treasure. He's stating the plain fact that wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there as well. Wherever it is. And, and I could just go on. Jesus just keeps, he talks to the rich young ruler. He tells people to sell their possessions, give the poor. He talks about the power of the rich farmer who hoarded more than he needed. He just goes on and he just keeps at it. You can read scripture after scripture. The point is though that that, that the idea of money, possession, stuff, it's a spiritual issue. We like to remove it from our spirituality, but it's a spiritual issue. And that's why we're talking about the, the practice, the discipline of simplicity. Because that 
Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about our, our, um, our possessions a lot. And it didn't stop with Jesus. The New Testament goes on. Paul says, this is the last scripture for a while. Don't worry, I'm just chucking them at you. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow, strong words from Paul. We can't hide from this in the Bible. You can't, you can't consciously be a Christian and ignore this. I'm sorry. And you're here today, and I'll see you walk out if you don't want to face up to it. <laughs> now, it doesn't say that we should have nothing. You know, there's misery today from, from simple lack of provision, just as there's misery when, when people make a life out of chasing provision. And we have to get it right. And I think too, too long the church has got it wrong. We either swing one way on the pendulum or the other, which is why we get these American preachers who want their fourth legit um, so that they can preach the gospel. No, I'm serious. You can read about that. Uh, the multi-million dollar jets because they, they need those. Uh, or you swing it the other way and you've got these ascetic monks and nuns who take vows of poverty and have nothing and live off uh, just what other people give them. I think, you know, somewhere, and I can't tell you where that is, but somewhere there is a, and I guess there's a principle here we'll get to that will guide you in this. Um, but, but we need to realize that, that forced poverty is evil. The Bible doesn't condone extreme asceticism where you just have nothing. Asceticism makes kind of an unbiblical defin- uh, distinction between um, what is spiritual and what is material. It says all, all, all spirit, you know, your faith is all spiritual and it's got nothing to do with your material possessions. Asceticism says that material possessions are bad, full stop. But actually simplicity says, no, 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 they're not all bad, but puts them in correct perspective. See, in asceticism, there's no room for the land flowing with milk and honey that the Bible talks of. Whereas actually simplicity rejoices in all that God has given us in the good things that he wants us to have. Simplicity knows contentment in both lack and in abundance. It's because it's not about what you have. It's about the state of your heart. Philippians 4, 12 says, this is Paul speaking, and he would know. (laughs) I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see, it's not about what you've got. Simplicity reorientates our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Because <laughs> without simplicity, we're either given to the consumer spirit of the, of the day, of the culture that we live in, or we'll fall into un-Christian legalistic asceticism where we just like deny ourselves just because we think we have to. Both are a form of idolatry. Both are wrong, okay? You with me? You're going silent again. This is too deep for you? No, you're a smart bunch. Uh, it does sound like a narrow road, though, doesn't it? It sounds like a road that, that, that Jesus would walk, uh, funnily enough. So how do we do it? How do we find a place to stand in a, in a world of, of materialism without slipping into legalism? 
It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. We, uh, we need a solid place to stand. Uh, Archimedes said, give me a place to stand and I'll move the earth. We need a place to stand. And Jesus gives it to us. And actually, we, we, we talked about the scripture a couple of weeks ago when we, we looked at the film uh, Philomena. It's in Matthew 6, 25 to 33. I'll, I'll read it. It's, it's a big scripture, but uh, it's, it's so good. I'll read it again. Therefore, I tell you, starting in verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your, heaven, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? You are. Can you, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The central point, the central idea that will lead us to, to, to grasping this practice of simplicity is that we need to seek the kingdom of God first. We, need, we essentially need to put first things first in our lives, and then everything else will come into proper order. And I think it's impossible to, to overestimate the importance of what Jesus is talking about here, because everything hinges on us getting first things first. Nothing must come before the kingdom of God, even the desire to have a simple lifestyle. Like putting the kingdom of uh, first actually simplifies everything. You know, should I give away all my money to the poor? Seek first the kingdom of God. Should I get a certain job so I can gain influence for the kingdom? Now seek first the kingdom of God. Should I go and preach the truth to the world that the, pe the people are to seek first the kingdom of God? No. Seek first the kingdom of God for yourself. And then he might guide you to do that, but in a sense, we need actually not to do anything. We just need to be with him. We need to seek him first, be in his presence, and he will guide us. We just need to learn to be silent before him and be with him. Focus on the kingdom of God creates the inner reality we need to live a simple life. I don't mean simple as in dumb. I mean simple as in it's free of the confusions of the world. Because without it, we just get into legalistic trivia. Oh, oh, should I own that? Can I have that? Should I, you know, how much is right? In my, what's the right amount to have? What's the right amount to give away? Should I have that flash of car? Should I do? No, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. And those other things, they will just, he will show you. The desire, we can't put anything else first. The desire to get out of the rat race, you can't put that first. The desire to redistribute the world's wealth, you can't put that first. The desire, concern for the environment, you can't put that first. It has to be the kingdom of God. Because the person who does not put the kingdom of God first does not seek the kingdom of God at all. If you don't put him first, you're not actually putting him anywhere in your life because he can't be second. 
Jesus tells us when we do this, we'll be free of anxiety. That's cool. Who would like to be free of anxiety, free of worry in your life? Well, here's the key. Put the kingdom of God first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you don't need to worry about those things. The inward reality of simplicity is a life of joyful unconcern about your possessions. Because it's got nothing to do with the abundance or the lack of what you have. Because it's an inward spirit of trust. It's possible to have an outward lifestyle of simplicity and still be wracked by anxiety. Just as it is possible to have everything you need or ever wanted and still not have freedom from anxiety in your heart. Those things, and often that happens. The more you have, the more anxious you are about it sometimes. So the freedom from anxiety Jesus talks about, it comes with three inner attitudes. Um, and I'll give them to you now, and then we're going to talk about them. So they are, firstly, what we have, we receive as a gift. What we have is to be cared for by God. And thirdly, what we have is available to others. If we get these kind of concepts, we'll be free from anxiety. This is essentially the inward reality of simplicity. Let's just flip them on their head for a moment. If we put that in reverse, if what we have, we believe we have got for ourselves, and what we have, we believe we must hold on to, and what we have is not available to others, then we'll always be anxious about our stuff, about things. So let's break those ideas down. Firstly, we receive what we have as a gift from God. I think we need, we need to start in this place. We work, but we know that it's not our work that, that gives us what we have. We live by grace, even in our daily bread. Because we're dependent on God for life, right? For the air we breathe, the sun that shines, the water we drink. We are dependent on God for those things. You're fooling yourself if you can li- think you can live without them. What we have is actually not the result of our labor. It's a, it's a result of the grace of God. And it only takes a small accident or a loss of a job or a change in circumstances for us to realize how reliant we are on God for everything. So that's the first starting point. We have to realize that God is our provider. Secondly, we realize that it's God's business to care for what we have. God is actually able to protect what He's given us, and we can trust Him with that. That doesn't mean we never lock our doors and we just, you know, we don't ever put our seatbelt on or we we leave our keys in our car all the time. No, no, we we need to take normal precautions, but we realize it's not the lock on the door that protects our house. It's ultimately God. And, And it's not just our possessions I'm talking about. It's protecting your reputation protecting your, your employment or your, your, your family, those things, actually it's God's job to look after those things. And He will. Simplicity means freedom to trust that God will look out for us and ours. For all things. Because He does actually care about the, the small stuff in our lives. So we realize that it's God's business to care. And thirdly, to have our stuff available to others. You know, the reason we find this idea difficult is, is often that, you know, we're anxious about, well, what if I need it? 
tomorrow. We're, we're worried about tomorrow. What if I need that thing in the future? But if we, see, if we truly see God as our Father, then we'll know that actually He's looking out for us. And He will care for us. So if someone's in need, we, we can be free to offer them that thing. Give them that whatever it is. Because actually it's not ours to start with. We are, we are just, you know, um, people who look after the things that God gives us. He's just kind of entrusted us for them for a little while. But you ain't taking your nice car to heaven. Your house here on earth is not going to be your house with God. The stuff that you have that you lend out to people when they break, uh, you know, that's actually not yours anyway. So, um, yeah. If we get those three ideas, then we'll have an internal reality shift around this idea of simplicity. We'll stop being anxious about the stuff in our lives. Yeah? And I think these are helpful. So that's, that's the inward change that has to happen. We seek first God's kingdom and we, we trust that actually everything we have is from God, that God will look after those things, and we are just stewards of them so we can freely share them around. That's the inner reality, but what about an external lifestyle, an outward expression. Because, you know, to simply say, well, it's just an internal thing. I'm, I'm, I've got this simple lifestyle, but then you're not living it. That's, that's hypocrisy. And I, I'm very aware that I'm going to give you 10 points. Okay, you're like, what, 10? But yeah, I'll get through them. I'm going to give you 10 points uh, that are kind of applications uh, of this lifestyle of simplicity. But I don't want you to turn them into laws. I'm very aware that, you know, when we're talking about this, they can become legalistic very quickly. Yeah? So I'm going to give you some guiding principles to the outward expression of simplicity. And, and I, I give full credit. Um, this is um, from uh, Foster's book on uh, the disciplines, um, on the celebration from the book, The Celebration of Discipline. But they're such good ideas. I, I really want to share them with you. So they're not laws. We're just kind of fleshing out this idea of how do we practically live with this discipline of simplicity, okay? Okay, so you got your pens ready? Number one, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. This is anything really. Um, cars, buy for their practicality. You can know I've embraced this because I drive a Toyota People Mover. Uh, it's called an Alphard, which is like the unsexiest name possible for a car. And, uh, and it's, yeah, I've had to embrace this principle in the car I drive. Well, one of the cars, the other one's kind of cool. Uh, but, but, but actually, you know, houses too. Who needs five bedrooms and you only got two of you living in your house? You know, clothes, ladies, mainly talking to you here, but, you know, maybe some of the guys. You don't need more clothes. <laughs> All the guys going, just preach it, Dave. Uh, you know, people, we often buy more just to keep up with fashion, you know, with what's on trend. Stuff fashion. <laughs> buy what you need. Wear clothes till they wear out. What? Spoken like a true male, you might say. Uh, perhaps I'm making some, some enemies. Uh, but here we go. Stop trying to impress people with your clothes and impress them with your life. Oh, boom. <laughs> because actually, that's far more impressive. 
So buy things for the usefulness rather than their status. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. You need to discern what, you know, actually what is a, a real psychological need and what is an addiction. An addiction is something that's beyond your control. Uh, you need to eliminate it or cut it down um, to break the hold of it. So it could be anything. It could be alcohol. It could be coffee. It could be chocolate. It could be cigarettes. It could be sugary drinks. It could be stuff that you don't just ingest. It could be um, TV, phones, phone games, Facebook, magazines, news, um, just anything you feel you cannot do without, that's an addiction. Now, remember, you've got to remember that simplicity is, is, is freedom. It's not slavery. So, so you need to refuse to be a slave to, to, to those things. And you also, you can't resolve to be free from an addiction by yourself because an addiction, like I said, is something that's beyond your control. Okay, so you need some help. So you have to get some loving friends alongside you that can help you and pray with you and stand with you and hold you accountable to those things. So if you have a, if you're an addiction to chocolate, you need to get those friends to take that chocolate off you. I can be that friend uh, for you if you need. I will stand with you. Um, <laughs> take it away from you. Uh, but yeah, we need we need to we need to stop and, and, and take account sometimes and go, is that a, is that something that actually I could just Today, just turn away and walk away from it, and I wouldn't need it in my life. And if it's not, then maybe you need to break that addiction. Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. Great way to build simplicity in your life is develop a habit of giving stuff away. If you find you've become attached to some possessions, overly attached, consider giving, and giving them away. I've given away cars. I've given away bicycles. Uh, and if you know me, I like both of these things. Um, but it's, there's something incredibly liberating. In doing that, you, there's, there's like, I, I know that that doesn't have a hold on me. You know, go and Marie Kondo and deaccumulate all your stuff. Because um, the truth is, most of us could get rid of half our possessions and still not really face any real sacrifice in our lives, if we're honest. So develop a habit of giving things away. Someone wants to borrow something, so yeah, you know, just keep it. It's, it's being generous. It's good. Number four, refuse culture's latest and greatest propaganda. There's always something new. There's always something better and greater. The latest technology, which is going to change your life and make it make you you know things faster or easier or better. And you know, there's a whole uh, business of marketing around that, trying to get you to get that stuff. Apple was brilliant at it. Uh, Look, as a, as, a, as a road cyclist, I can tell you, there are, there are thousands of dollars I could spend on getting the latest tech, the latest clothing, latest accessories. When nearly, really, I just need to train more. Uh, but don't, don't get sucked in. Amen, says my wife. She didn't say that. Uh, you don't want me to train more. <laughs> you want to see, my, see your husband. Uh, but yeah, don't, just don't give in. So the latest and great, do you actually need that latest iPhone? Probably not, but uh, you're just getting sucked in. It's number four. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Mm. Owning things is actually a bit of an obsession in our culture. The world tells you that if you own it, you'll gain greater pleasure from it. It's not true. You know, I can go for a ride on a mountain bike down a hill and I can own the bike, or I can have hired it, and as long as the bike fits me and it works, 
the pleasure I get in writing that, there's no difference. It's a lie. That it's an illusion that, you know, many things in life can be enjoyed without owning them. You don't have to possess them. Or we think if we possess them, we control them, and therefore we'll get greater pleasure. Well, actually, you know, ultimately you don't even possess it, this, this side of eternity. So we need, to, we need to break that. Share things, borrow things, hire things. But don't feel you have to own things. You can enjoy the beach without owning the batch on it. Yeah? You can enjoy parks. You can enjoy libraries. You can get out and you can enjoy stuff without owning it. Which leads me to number six, which is we need to develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Take time to get close to the earth. Don't just, I don't just mean lie down on the ground. <laughs> Travel by walking or biking. Uh, Listen to the birds, smell the flowers, take the time to enjoy the beautiful world that you are surrounded by. Because God created it for, for your enjoyment. Too often we're too busy getting ahead, doing stuff. No, no, take some time. Develop a deeper appreciation for the world around you, for creation. Discover again God's beauty through his creation. It will develop a, a simplicity in your life. Number seven, Avoid buy now and pay later schemes. Uh, they're a trap. Both the Old and the New Testament condemn usury for good reason. Debt is to be avoided. If you think about it, simplicity is about making things simpler. Debt makes things more complicated. It really does. It complicates your finances. It complicates your life. So if you can avoid it at all costs, do. Avoid those kind of schemes. Number eight, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew uh, 5.37 says this. Avoid flattery and half-truths. Let your speech be honest and plain and simple. Fear of others kind of leads us to, to, to feel that we need to impress. So, you know, we don't want the truth to get in the way of a good story. So uh, we kind of embellish. And uh, that thing that we did just got bigger or greater or further or harder than it actually was. Um, actually, just let your yes be yes, your no be no. It's simple. Number nine, oh, we're ripping through these. Reject anything that causes the oppression of others. This is a, this is a hard one. Reject anything that causes the oppression of others. And it's actually massive today because, you know, the, the coffee we sip or the banana we eat, uh, is it, are we doing so at the expense of exploiting some some Latin American peasants who've 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 slaved away, you know, if we can at all, uh, we should we should try and buy ethically. We should try and um, you know be aware of the stuff that we're consuming and how it will be affecting other people. Like we kind of we just kind of ignore often, um, but you know, do we wear cheap clothes at the expense of exploiting Chinese uh, sweatshop workers? Do we tolerate hierarchical relationships in our jobs because they suit us and we're just kind of on the right side of it, the equation? So, uh, you know, we just need to, do we even oppress our children or our spouse because we feel certain tasks are beneath us? Reject anything that causes the oppression of others. That's getting a bit close to home, literally in your home. Um, but usually our oppression is tinged with racism or sexism or nationalism. Um, because unfortunately, we live in a world today that still the color of your skin affects where you're at in, in a company. That, that 
you know, the, the sex of a person affects their salary. The nation of origin can affect how people are perceived or welcomed. We need to change that as Christians. We need to stand up to that stuff. And uh, yeah, not just point the finger at others and go, oh, come on, you need to change. Actually, we need to change. And number 10, I'll invite um, Keys to come up, is we need to shun anything that distracts us from seeking first the kingdom of God. I don't know what those things are for you. I know what they are for me. My wife probably knows what they are for me. But you need to, you need to get in God's presence. You know, what, what are the things that are distracting me from putting him first? And you need to deal with those things. If we're to follow Jesus, we need to embrace the discipline of simplicity. As I said, it's not extreme asceticism, just doing without everything and just eating wheat bix. Uh, it's and it's not, you know, um, it's definitely not just chasing what the world chases and going the other extreme and just, you know, the prosperity gospel that you hear about. That we just need more. No, no, it's about seeking first His kingdom relationship with him and he'll show you and I tell you what they can be legitimate things that are in the way of your relationship with God the legitimate things such as your job as your position as your status even as your family as your your friends your security your hobbies your sports they can all become the center of your life at the cost of God being the center We need to hold the kingdom of God as our number one priority because he says if we do that, those other things will take care of themselves. It's a simple concept, isn't it? But it's a hard one to to put into into practice. So I just want us to stand in this moment. Why don't you join with me, church? I, I know I've just spat out a whole lot of stuff at you and you're probably just reeling and going, whoa, whoo. Please don't put your head in the sand, which is what most Western Christians do, and go, ah, well, you know, that doesn't really affect me too much. No, it does. We're called to live a life that follows Jesus. And while we're not a Middle Eastern um, roaming prophet teacher, there are things that we can do that embrace his ethos of simplicity seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And as we do that, we will become more like Him. And isn't that the aim of this life we have here and now, to become more like Christ? So if, if, if this is spoken to you, just with every eye closed, head bowed, I, I, I'm not looking around, but I want to pray into this moment. And I'm praying for myself as well. I want to pray for those of you who think, yeah, I need to place God first again in my heart have that inner reality and I need to change some things in my life, the outer lifestyle if that's you, just raise your hand and I want to pray, I want to join with you in praying that we will more closely follow after God and seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Let's pray together Father I thank you that God it, it isn't complicated but it isn't easy either this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. But Lord, we know that ultimately it will simplify our lives. It will remove the complications if we can put you first 
as God, as God in our lives. And so, Lord, we do that this morning. We say afresh, be the center. Be the one we chase after. Be our God and number one, we pray. And as we do that, Lord, show us what needs to change. Show us what we perhaps need to get rid of. We perhaps need to give away. We perhaps need to change our attitude around. Show us, Lord, how we need to to change, to, to embrace this discipline of simplicity in our lives. Guide us this week, Father, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, there's one more group of people I want to pray for. And that's, that's if you're here today and you, this whole idea is like, oh, why would you do this? Well, we do it because we follow a man who came and, and lived this life and did some remarkable things. His name is Jesus. And he wasn't just a man. He was also God incarnate. He was God in, in human form. And he came to this world so that we could have fullness of life. Because the thing is, when we give stuff up, we actually, we gain the kingdom. We gain so much. And I tell you what, whatever you give up to follow Jesus, you gain abundantly more in this world and in the world to come by following after Him. So if you're here this morning and you know that the stuff in your life isn't fulfilling your life, you know that the stuff you have isn't actually satisfying because you've tried and you, you know that actually it falls short. I can tell you following Jesus will satisfy even greater than any human relationship in your life. Following after Jesus will give you completeness and wholeness and will change you for eternity. So just with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to give that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you want to come into relationship with God, through His Son, Jesus. Just raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down and then we'll pray together. Is there anybody here you want to do that? Maybe you've done it before, but you know that actually you need to recommit. Or maybe this is the first time. Is there anybody here who wants to do that? I see that hand there. That's fantastic. Anybody else? 